from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. You know, our narrative of the rainforest is a romantic one based on ideas of what we think it should be like. We place value on people like these our, people that have always lived in harmony with the rainforest. But when we do that, we demonize the people that we don't really like, that don't suit our narrative. And that creates an us versus them situation, a good guys and bad guys situation. Charles Hamilton James is a photographer at National Geographic. At GreenBiz 19 in Phoenix, Arizona, he shared his journey exploring the Amazon rainforest and how that changed his perspective on conservation and poverty. Let's listen in. Hello. So, um, as Joel said, I work for National Geographic. I'm a photographer for them. I specialize in wildlife and conservation, which means I basically wander around the world photographing the misery we're inflicting on the planet. And it's nice to come here and bask in a, in a golf course that's beautifully manicured and a, perhaps a new form of reality we can all look forward to. Um, today I'm going to talk to you briefly about uh, the relationship between poverty and conservation um, and take you on a journey, a journey that I went on to, to understand the relationship between the two. Now, I never really used to like people very much. That's why I was a wildlife photographer. Um, it wasn't until I went on a journey to understand people I realized that you know, if we want to cure the problems of the planet, we have to understand people a lot more. Um, and it really changed the way I view people and the way, you know, I view conservation these days. So a few years ago, if I've got pictures here, there we go, I bought an illegal coca plantation by mistake. Um, coca being the raw ingredient of cocaine. Um, there it is, for those of you who don't believe me. <laughs> Uh, I thought I was buying a lovely piece of rainforest in the Peruvian Amazon, but it turned out I wasn't. Um, that's my product. <laughs> it grows at 800 meters above sea level, which is the optimum height to grow coca. Uh, it has the highest alkaloid content of any coca leaf in the world, which in layman's terms means that I got good shit. Okay? <laughs> This is me harvesting my coca. <laughs> now, I didn't mean to buy a coca plantation. I thought I was buying a piece of rainforest. I had a phone call one day from the head of Manu National Park in Peru. I was in England. He phoned me up and he said, I want you to buy a chunk of land. It's at the end of a logging road. It's a small piece of rainforest. And we need to secure it, because it's through this piece of land that the loggers are getting into the national park and cutting the trees down. And if you could buy it for us, then we can control the illegal logging in the area. And I thought, wow, this is, this is quite sad that the head of a national park in Peru has to ask a guy in England to buy this land. Now, I knew him because I'd spent 20 years photographing and filming in Manu. Manu is the most biodiverse place on the planet. The statistics are amazing. It's, it's home to 1,300 species of butterfly. It's, home to maybe 250,000 species of insect. We don't know that because most of them haven't been discovered yet. There are more trees in a single hectare, more species of trees in a single hectare of Manu than there are in the whole of North America. But my favorite statistic about Manu is that 
it has 10% of the world's bird species. One in 10 of the world's bird species are in Manu National Park. It also has giant otters. I say otters, because if I say otters, you'll just look at me blankly. <laughs> These guys are badass. They eat piranhas. Manu is one of the most important places in the world for giant otters, just one of the species that rely on it. So there's a real incentive for us to protect it. So I flew out to Peru to see my amazing piece of land I'd been told I was buying. And I got there and I discovered, you know, I'd bought an illegal coca plantation. I'd also bought an illegal logging camp with uh, these guys living on it. <laughs> This is uh, Ilias standing up and his father, Tito. They were apparently, according to the local park guards, the worst illegal loggers in the area. In fact, one of the park guards said to me, you know you bought the most dangerous piece of land off the most dangerous family in the most dangerous area of southern Peru. No, I, that wasn't in the brochure. <laughs> so, I spent a few weeks on the land camping, and I, was, I could hear the chainsaws going at night. I was terrified of illegal loggers. All I'd ever heard was bad things about them. So I didn't really want to go and find these guys. I knew they were there. I didn't want to go and find them. But eventually, I realized I had to. And I went through the forest one day, listening to chainsaws. And eventually, after about an hour of searching, burst out and found these two. And this is when I took this picture. And I said, Ilias. You know, I talked to Ilias and Tito a lot, and eventually they said, I said, look, you've got to get off the land. I bought it to protect the National Park. Now, the National Park had lost complete interest in building a guard station by then, so I was kind of in a quandary. I thought, well, maybe I'll just leave them alone. But then I thought, no, I've done this to protect this National Park. So I said, you've got to go. And Ilias said to me, you can't kick me off the land. I've got a severely disabled daughter. This is all I've got. If you kick me off, what have I got? And I didn't believe him. I thought he was lying to me and trying to take advantage of me. So I said, OK, I'll come around tomorrow. Come around to your house, and I'll meet her. So the next day, I went around to his house, and I met Ines, his wife, and Heidi, his six-year-old daughter. And Heidi was severely disabled. She had fallen in a rice threshing machine as a baby and had severe brain damage. So what was I going to do? I couldn't kick him off the land. There was no way. So I was realized I found myself in this situation where I'm in this foreign country with a foreign piece of land with an illegal logger living on it, and I have absolutely no idea what to do. I didn't understand the problem. How can I fix the problem if I don't even understand the problem? So I decided to go on a journey across the Amazon to try and understand how other people see the Amazon, and how they experience it. Not going in, you know, sorry, I go in with this kind of Western, science-based, ecological-based opinion of what the Amazon is and what I think the Amazon should be. But what about the people who actually live in it and experience it? How do they see it? The first thing I did is I went and worked, lived and worked on an illegal gold mine. This is a picture here of the gold mining on the river system south of Manu. It's apocalyptic. Basically, it's a gold rush for dust. Underneath the forest, the old riverbeds, and they contain gold dust. And to get it, these guys have to completely destroy the forest. These are tailings ponds. These have all been mined. 
basically. They're full of diesel and arsenic and mercury, which is what makes them these colors. It takes 20 tons of toxic waste to create enough gold to, to make a wedding ring. It's an incredibly destructive problem. I wanted to go and live and work with people. I, I was never going to understand poverty like these guys, but I could understand the sort of back-breaking toil and physicality of poverty. So I wanted to go and work on a mine. This is Erasmus. Erasmus was the boss of a gold mine, and I said, can I spend two weeks working for you for free so I can understand about life on your mine? He said, yes. In that two weeks, I watched Erasmus's life completely collapse. His mine was making just under what it needed to make every day to sustain. It was getting six and a half grams of gold. It needed seven grams of gold a day just to break even. I watched this man collapse into bankruptcy as his mind failed to make any money. Towards the end of the time I spent with him, his wife Anna miscarried for the third time. Miscarriage, they think, sorry, let's just go back a tiny bit. When you, when you mine gold, you use a lot of mercury. And everyone involved in the mining industry has high levels of mercury. And they can attribute mercury to miscarriage. So we think Anna probably had her third miscarriage due to the amount of mercury in her blood. It was a really devastating and horrible situation to watch unfold. This is Daniel. Daniel went to, to, to work on the mine because he wanted to, to raise enough money to go to university. That's all he wanted to do, get a better life for himself. When I took this photo, he was, staring, he was stirring sludge gathered from the bottom of the river or the, or the pond, which is called Pada. He was, he was stirring that with mercury with his bare feet. He was never going to go to college or university. He was just going to poison himself to death. And he was stuck in what I think is the most perfect example of poverty trap I've ever seen. He hadn't been paid for three months. He was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. If he left, because Erasmus hadn't paid him, he'd leave with nothing. If he carried on working, he may still never get paid. So he was stuck. These guys are the bad guys of the Amazon. When you go to the Amazon, everyone says, oh, the gold miners, these are the dangerous guys. When you go and hang out with them, you realize they're just people trying to make a living. But the illegal loggers have the, the worst reputation. This is uh, my friends Beta and Modesto. I went and worked as an illegal logger with them. This is Beto cutting a tree down. Beto believes that the rainforest is the living embodiment of Christ. Okay, his view and understanding when he looks at the rainforest is so far beyond mine. He looks at it with, you know, this sort of ethereal beauty around him. It's God's creation. I look at it, you know, through biological eyes. I said to him, how can you cut it down if you believe it's God's creation? He said, oh, well, my wife left me. I've got two kids that don't talk to me anymore because I'm an illegal logger but I'm trying to get them through university, so this is all I have. I didn't meet the nasty guys, the nasty loggers I'd always, always heard about. Then I crossed the border to Brazil. This is maybe 150 miles, 200 miles from Manu, where I was working. And what I saw was a complete apocalypse on the land. This is an Acre, Western Brazil. This is a guy called Dino who's a 
slash and burn cattle rancher. And this is what I wanted to go and see. I wanted to see the, the Amazon in Western Brazil as we imagine it when we're shown views of it on the news, as this kind of apocalypse on the land. Dino is a slash and burn cattle rancher. What that means is he cuts the forest down and grows grass, puts cattle on it. When he was a young lad, he found his dad hanging. He was a teenager. Dad had hanged himself. And what that did is that put his family immediately into extreme poverty. And when he was a young man, the Brazilian government was giving out plots of land in the Western Amazon. He got one of these plots. And he, he moved there, and he became a cattle rancher. He made a life for himself and a life for his family there. But doing the most destructive thing you can possibly imagine. This is what Dino does. He turns rainforest into a kind of cliche of horribleness. And you really can't think of anything more stupid to do, can you, to the rainforest than, than take down, a, the, the, you know, you've got a carbon sink, you've got an oxygen-producing factory, and you cut it down, you release all that carbon, and then you put cattle on it. Cattle that produce more harmful greenhouse gases than all the cars, buses, trucks, ships, airplanes in the world combined. It's the most ludicrously stupid thing you can do. But do I think anything worse of Dino for doing it? No. Dino is a person of the rainforest, whether we like it or not. You know, our narrative of the rainforest is a romantic one based on ideas of what we think it should be like. We place value on people like these our, people that have always lived in harmony with the rainforest. But when we do that, we demonize the people that we don't really like, that don't suit our narrative. And that creates an us versus them situation, a good guys and bad guys situation. And really, that achieves nothing. We should be looking for inclusive situations. So I went across the Amazon. I lived with people. I lived with shamans. I lived with tribes, gold miners, slash and burn cattle ranchers, illegal loggers. And I looked at the Amazon at the end of it all in a completely different way. I realized that conservation is a bourgeois concept. Okay, I care about the Amazon in, in the way I do because I have the time and the, the job security, the food security. I live in a stable country with a stable economy. You know, I have the, the ability and the luxury of time to consider things beyond my basic survival. Okay, I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. These people live in a place where they have resources and they use the resources available to them in order to survive. So my takeaway from it all was really this, is that we ignore the poor people of the world at our own peril. Okay? If you look at some of the most important protected areas of the planet, like the Amazon or the forests of Borneo or the Serengeti or the Masai Mara, the people that live in these places are some of the poorest people on the planet. Yet we expect them not to touch those resources that are available to them to survive. And when they do, we get mad and we shout and we scream at them about it. And that's rich people shouting at poor people for doing something we don't like. And I think that's disgusting. And people always say to me, OK, well, what can we do? Well, we can have conferences like this. And we can all struggle and you know, mess around trying to find the answers, because often there aren't any. Often, as humans, we'll find answers. But ultimately, I think we can 
we could do one thing, and that's that we could care a bit more about our fellow human being and include them in our ideas a little bit more. Because if we cared more about our fellow humans, we would actually probably go a long way to solving a lot of the world's worst environmental problems. And at the same time, we would make the world a better place and a nicer place to live in. Thank you. You've been listening to a National Geographic photographer, Charles Hamilton James, talk about why the Western narrative of conservation is a luxurious one that Amazonians can't afford at the Greenbiz 19 conference in Phoenix, Arizona. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into Greenbiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. From all of us here at Greenbiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.